does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. By the way, I apologize, and thank you to, uh, I think it was Jason that pointed this out. It was Jack Cohn that was in camp. I don't know why I was thinking that yep. Ian Book had been in camp for the Colts. I had also gotten my washed-up Notre Dame quarterback. It was Jack Cohn well. of yep. Notre Dame that yep. had been in camp. I, yep. I thought for sure Ian Book. But Ian, Bur- uh, Ian Book working out today for the Colts along with three others. Joining us now, not necessarily to focus on that, but to talk about certainly the quarterback position among other things for the Colts is Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Stephen, before we get to the quarterback situation – uh, which is obviously going to be the ubiquitous topic here over the next couple of weeks for the Colts. But let's begin and go back a little bit to Jonathan Taylor. And I know that that's also kind of a tired subject, but I want to throw something out at you that we discussed yesterday and get your input on it. To go from what looked to be like the iciest of icy relationships to kumbaya, here we are, like big contract extension – and seemingly Taylor getting in the ballpark of what he was looking for. As I thought about this yesterday, I began to wonder, is it possible, Stephen, and you would know this better than I, that part of the reason the Colts wanted to get this done was twofold. Number one, they've seen enough at the quarterback position to know that, yes, in fact, they have a guy that they need to start putting as many pieces around as possible, and they are confident they have found that guy at quarterback. And then number two, they wanted to avoid having to franchise tag Jonathan Taylor because that was a luxury that they wanted to have in case they need it elsewhere for other players, notably Michael Pittman. Your thoughts? So I I think I agree with you, not two for two, but like 1.5 out of two. And I'm, let me explain. So I think, you know, in terms of – uh, Jonathan Taylor and and the decision, or just how far they came. I do think the the tenor of this season has changed. I mean, they're playing for first place in the division on Sunday. I mean, we would not have predicted that. Uh, I think two months ago, we certainly weren't predicting that. So that's the first thing. And let's be honest. I mean, if Jonathan Taylor returns to form, I mean, he's going to make a big difference in their their prospects for this season. I will tell you, there were not very high expectations, even uh, among Colts personnel for this season. Now, maybe Shane Steichen and his coaching staff, but like, I don't think at the top of the organization, like there were high expectations. I certainly did not get that sense. And I, I don't think they made any uh, assumptions about them, you know, being in the mix this year. And so, I mean, I really thought they they saw this almost as a rebuilding season, even though they have a lot of veteran players. You know, they they didn't necessarily make any moves to improve the team, at least you know obvious moves outside of drafting Anthony Richardson. So it it, it did seem like this team you know might have a rough year. So anyway, they're they're much further along than I think anyone thought they would be. So that changes the complexion of things, hundred percent. As far as the franchise tag, I don't know whether they plan to use it on someone else. So I don't, I'm not going to suggest that's part of the rationale. But I do think that 
if Jonathan Taylor, even before he signed this contract, I was saying to my colleagues, and I, I still feel this way, even if he hadn't achieved anything in terms of getting a new deal, I did feel as if he gave them some pause, at least in the future, when it came to deciding how they were going to proceed. Because let's say they had not signed him, and he goes out and he plays this year. Well, then you have a decision to make in the spring, right? And at minimum, he had given them a reason to at least consider whether it was worth going through and tagging him because that was not going to be a fun experience, okay? You're talking about after what we've seen the last couple of months, I mean, what makes you think it would have been any different? You would have had an entire offseason of Jonathan Taylor not in the building, wanting nothing to do with you, and it, it just is a, a continuation of what they already have. So I, I just think the prospect of that is just so unappealing that I don't know if they actually wanted to go through it. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, no one told me that, but that's just a, a kind of a, a common sense way to look at this. I mean, that would not have been an enjoyable experience. So anyway, this gets it done and, and it gets a, a good player in the fold for a couple of years. I mean, they have like over $70 million in cap space next year. So if there's any team that could afford to do this, both from the makeup of the team, this is a power run team. Sunday was a great example. This is a power run offensive line. Uh, They are an aggressive team up front. This is the perfect team to sign a running back to a long-term contract. Uh, Maybe it doesn't work for everybody, but I think it works for them. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about, Stephen, before we get to the quarterback situation is, you know, my mind is I'm looking at Jonathan Taylor getting signed and then I'm looking at, okay, who else is around then on the roster that they've got to start shoring up, if you will. And Pittman now, that shifts now to Michael Pittman, right? Like, he's the next big yeah. one that they that they want to lock in. How much, if at all, how much are the Colts wanting to accelerate or, or, or push the fast-forward button on the cement of Alec Pierce showing himself to be a viable receiver for them so that it then lessens what they're going to have to pay Pittman? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um I I actually wouldn't say that there's a cause and effect situation there, though. But, so, but if you're Pittman, there would be, wouldn't there be? I'm not saying from the Colts, but if I'm Pittman's camp... You're saying if if, if, if Pierce is not any good, then, then Pittman has a, a stronger case. Correct. If I'm Pittman's yeah, well, agent, I'm going, hey, listen, who's your yeah. secondary... Who, who's your, who are you going to throw to if my guy's not there, right? Okay, fair enough. That's true. I thought you were kind of going the other way with it and saying, like, if Alec Pierce comes on... Maybe they have a stronger bargain. No, no. Michael Pittman, yeah, Pitt, I'm talking about from Pittman's that. leverage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if I'm Michael Pittman, I'm like, hey, how much do you love me? <laughs> okay, because because you don't have you don't have a whole lot else to love. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, look, I like Alec Pierce. Let me be clear. I like Alec Pierce. I think he still has a lot of upside. But then when you see the way Josh Downs has come on the scene and contributed much more, much quick much faster it uh it really does kind of leave you scratching your head and and having some doubts and so i i think questions about alec pierce are totally fair i'm not out on alec pierce i think he has some value and and his he provides something the colts don't have enough of which is a guy who can get up get over the top of the defense but uh that that has to show up you know we can't just talk about it from a from the perspective of potential, that's not enough. 
So we got to start seeing it. And, and unfortunately for him, uh, he's more likely to display that with Anthony Richardson playing than with Gardner Minshew. But be that as it may, uh, he's going to have to start contributing in other ways too. It can't only be the deep shots. He's got to, you know, be able to be versatile in a way that Josh Downs has managed to be, you know, where he can catch underneath routes, but also as he displayed Josh Downs, I think the last couple of weeks, he can get down the field as well. He covers the Colts for ESPN.com. Stephen Holder taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Stephen, we could spend hours discussing whether or not any actual updates will be provided from Shane Steichen. By that, I mean (laughs) a timeline for Anthony Richardson, but we both know the likelihood of it being anything more than sometime or week to week is probably unlikely. But I, so I ask you this, does it make too much sense if it is a four or five week recovery timeline, that's just guessed on, like not put out there by the Colts, but guessed on that they would wait until that built in bye week. And we probably won't see him tell that game in November against the Buccaneers at the uh, earliest. Yeah. I, I, I really think they're just gonna just do what makes uh, sense medically. And, and I don't think, I think we have to think of it that way. What I mean is when it's healed, it's healed. And I, you know, I don't think this is like a, like a concussion kind of thing where, you know, you err on the side of caution. Obviously you, you always, you never put a player in danger if he's not completely healed. But I, I think if there's, it's, it should be pretty easy. In other words, what I'm saying is like, if it's healed, it's healed. And when it's healed, he'll play. I don't get a sense of like major dread when I've talked to people. And even as of last night, I've kind of left them alone today because they're probably sick of me and everybody <laughs> else. But uh, as of last night, I was still told there was still some ambiguity on the timeline. So you notice there's not been any further update, sourced or otherwise. So I, I, I really think they are – they're being diligent here with, with t- you know, talking to a lot of physicians and, and getting a lot of feedback and just making sure they have it right in terms of the timeline. Also, they, they know they don't have to commit to a timeline. <laughs> you know, they just don't. And so uh, they have that going for them, too. I, I think, look, he's, he's going to – I think he, I don't think he'll be out a, a predetermined amount of time. I think when he they'll – go, they'll go week to week, and when he's ready to play, he's going to play, I think. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This year, going into the season with Anthony Richardson, the talk was he needs more reps, only 13 starts in college. I I ask a follow-up in that regard. Even if there's not a definite timeline, is there a gray area, depending on the window for when he could return, where they're like, maybe we shut him down, we don't want to risk injury if it's into December, or is reps for him at this state still valuable regardless of the point of the season we're in? I think you put them out there. Okay. I think it's too valuable. I mean, now, you know, if there's some if there's some reason from a medical perspective right. where he could be in jeopardy or something, that's different. But if there's no jeopardy to him, you put his butt out there. I 100%. I, I would do it 
as fast as you can shake a stick. I, I mean, because I think it's two things. Number one, he he is growing by the week. That's because he is so inexperienced. So every opportunity he has is massive because he has so much to make up and he has had so little opportunity as it is that uh, every time he's out there, it's a pretty big building block for him. You know, if he had this huge body of work, you know, each game would maybe be a smaller piece of the puzzle, if that makes sense. For him, he has this, as you've noted, a very small body of work. So, you know, every game matters. It's like I tell my kids, it's like, yeah, your perspective on life is pretty minimal because, like, a year is like a tenth of your life, you know? It's like, <laughs> or he's my youngest, you know? It's like, all right, yeah. She's like, that was like a year ago, Dad. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's like, I get it. That's like, you know, 8% of her life, right? That's a long <laughs> time ago. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's Anthony Richardson. I don't know if this makes any sense, but um, I'm trying. But anyway, I, I think if that's why you put them out there. And also, look, unless they are record matters too, to some degree, if you want to throw that in there, you know, if they go on some sort of skid, you know, maybe it's different. But if they're still competitive, and, and I think they, they could be, we'll see. And that's even more reason to do it. Stephen, which you, which do you believe – Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is our guest. Which do you believe would be more dangerous to Indianapolis? A, the possibility that Anthony Richardson is a forever-getting-hurt quarterback. Or B, altering an offensive scheme and game plan overall in fear of the first that I just mentioned. Yeah, so I don't like this conversation about the Colts have to change everything wholesale because of this. Now, I know how that sounds in the wake of seeing the franchise quarterback laying on his back. I mean, it's a terrible sight, right? By the way, I got up to get a bottle of water. I missed one play. I walk back to my, my chair in the press box, and he's laying on the ground. And I'm like, what the hell happened, man? <laughs> so, so it's your fault. I, I guess. I mean, it was a first down. I'm like, all right, what, they're going to run the ball up the middle. This is not going to be eventful. I'll be right back. Anyway, so lesson learned. Anyway, I, I just don't think that you – here's my rationale. Look, I, I get it. I get it. It's, it's terrifying. And, and people in this town went through the Andrew Luck uh, fiasco. I, I get it. I, believe me, I lived it too. Much too close than I, than I you know, want to remember. But anyhow – the deal is, I'm looking at this. I'm looking for this number here. They've only run the ball with, or in terms of designed runs, they've only run the ball with Anthony Richardson. I believe here it is, 16 times. Now that's over the course of like four games because he hasn't, you know, he hasn't played in. Well, actually, I guess like three and a half games. So it, it's a high number in terms of the position. Don't get me wrong. That's that's a lot in on a percentage basis you know, for a quarterback. However, we're talking about 16, 16 plays, 16 times they've run him. You know, I, look, I get it. It's, we're not used to that. But I'm just trying to put it in perspective. You know what I'm saying? How many snaps has Anthony Richardson played? I mean, you know, I don't know. A couple hundred? I don't know. So 16 times he's run it in terms of designed runs. He may have had some scrambles as well. I'm not counting those because every quarterback has those. So here's the deal. Of those 16, the, the, the possibility for big plays is it tends to be pretty high. 
You know, I thought Shane Steichen did a good job the other day of pointing out the the play that that he was hurt on. They ran that same play against the Rams, and I went back and found it. They got 23 yards on that play. That's why they were running it again because it worked. <laughs> so look, he was drafted with this in mind, and this is how it's going to be. Now I will tell you this at. Colts headquarters right now, the conversation is not so much about, man, we have to make a change in how we play him. The conversation is more about Anthony has to play smarter. Now, I don't know if that would have applied or helped him on the play on which he was hurt this week, but just in general, I mean, he has been a little bit reckless and a little out there and and he has to be a little smarter. It, It won't prevent him from getting hit, but it could cut down on the hits and I think over time they do add up and and he's he's learning a lesson I mean Harold Landry is like a 260 pound linebacker and he ran Anthony Richardson down from behind you know this is not the SEC as as good as the SEC might be these guys are different and and I'll just close by saying this Trevor Lawrence offered some really great advice in week one and he, he said he told he told uh, Anthony Richardson uh, after that game, he said, you know, just protect yourself. You know, the hits in this league add up and they're just, they're different than college hits. So I think that advice, uh, he should hold on to that very closely. Stephen, with that, I want you to, to opine on this and maybe you've talked to guys about this and I want to make clear in no way am I saying this as a detriment or as a complaint. But it seems to me, in particular this year, I have seen more players that have entered the concussion protocol than I can recall in years past. Maybe that's just because I'm more aware of it, and it's like the, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. But I was curious, do you think that that is attributed to, if that's true, that we're seeing more players and we're hearing more about concussion protocols, is that because, A, there is simply more awareness and precaution B, the game is in fact lending itself towards more collisions, or C, we've broken past the stigma of players being embarrassed or afraid to speak up when when they feel the the symptoms? Uh, Good question. Uh, Now, let me start by saying I don't know if the numbers are up. I do know that, I mean, look, I, I agree. We've, it feels like we've heard a lot about it. And we have here in Indianapolis, we have certainly heard a lot about it because tons of Colts have had concussions. I think the number is five or six. Right. I mean, you've got Ryman's been in the protocol. You've got Kelly yeah. was in the protocol. I think Leonard was in the protocol. Richardson obviously yeah. was in the Richardson, protocol. Mo Ali Cox. Mo Ali Cox, yeah. Uh, and and uh, there's one more, uh, Drew Ogletree, actually. So, yeah. That's, He's going to be on the show tomorrow, by the way. But go ahead, Steve. All right, cool. So – yeah, so that's at least six right there. So, uh, you know, I, I agree. I think that it feels high for us. And whether that, that's happening league-wide, I, I can't speak to that. But I, I will say I do think that guys are – and this didn't happen this year. This has happened over time. So let me be clear. I don't think this happened, like, instantly for 2023. But over time, players have become more aware. I mean, you have a generation of players now who – have pretty much since high school been aware of concussion dangers and and ha- that's been talked about openly, et cetera. I mean, you know, you and I, our generations growing up, if you played football, I mean, 
that wasn't something that word didn't exist. It didn't exist. Period. You know, I, I don't know how many concussions I had as a kid, just even, you know, just horse playing around. Yeah. You know, I, I remember feeling dizzy from time to time after, you know, getting body slammed wrestling in the yard. Right. I mean, so anyway, not to get off the subject, the point is this generation of players, these guys who are, you know, 24, 25 years old for them, it's, it's not a taboo subject. And that's a great thing. That is a great thing. And I, and I think it's it's a point that I've never thought about, and you kind of got my wheels turning here. I really do think that matters because, you know, there were there was a previous generation oh. where – Yeah, I mean, grab yeah. some smelling salts, get back out there and be a man. Right. Right? Yeah. Right. Totally. It was, there was, it was viewed with weakness. Right. You know, and so I love the fact that, uh, like a couple of weeks ago, both Ryan Kelly and Anthony Richardson in Houston – went over to the training staff and was like, hey, something's wrong. And they gave him the test, and they, they did indeed confirm they had concussions. So there was no hesitation on their part. you know. And, and Ryan Kelly is a guy who has a little bit of, I don't like this word, but like there's almost like a scarlet letter when you've had concussion problems in the past. You know, he had uh, a concussion situation, I think his maybe his, his second year, I think he missed five games. And so, you know, you don't want to be one of those guys who has a history and you miss multiple games now. Well, you also, I mean, Stephen, let's yeah. be real. I, I think we also, there's an element of this that I think does exist with fans. And that is, once we started hearing more about, you know, the Dave Dewersons and the Junior Seals and like sure. Jim McMahon, then then there became this hesitation or almost, almost this like feeling of perversion amongst the fan base of like, am I encouraging modern day gladiator stuff here? And so, well, yeah, we I, you are. know what I mean? <laughs> Let's be honest. So when yeah. players have multiple concussions, I think then the fan base starts to kind of go with a yin and yang of like, I really want to see this guy play, but also like... Do I need to be concerned about his health? You know, Austin Collie, you know, all those things, right? right. Sure, of course. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, there. we all make some – I think we all make some mm, compromises, I guess, you know, with football. There's no doubt about that. No, no, don't get me wrong. No one is putting a gun to anyone's head, okay? The, every, every guy that's out there is out there voluntarily. Okay, let, let's put that out there. But sure, sure. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they're ris- they're risking uh, their 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 bodies. You know, they're potentially their their um, you know their 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 mental state in the future. All these different things that, that can be a product of playing football. No doubt about it. So yeah, but anyhow, I, I think going back to the original question about concussions, I do think it's. I would pin it on just we have a comfort level talking about concussions and you know, it's no longer getting um, dinged up, dinged up. That's one way to put it, <laughs> you know, right? no, the guy's brain got bounced around, man. You know, like he needs to, he needs some time. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, but I think it's a good thing in the grand scheme. And, and I, I'm glad that we probably don't go back. We will never go back for sure, but, but I don't think we'll ever have, uh, the issues we had before, where it, it's it's afraid to be talked about because these players, for them, uh, it's it's commonplace. ESPN Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, if the end of the road is wow, they nailed that draft pick. Where are we on the journey with Josh Downs' rookie season? Mm. They nailed that draft pick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, we're not at the end, obviously, but right. 
I will tell you, you could talk to Josh Downs back in the offseason. I saw him out in OTAs a few times, and you know he, he got hurt at, toward the end of the offseason, so we didn't see him um, in the last few practices. But before that, you could tell, like, man, this, this guy's pretty involved. Like, I think he's going to catch some balls this year. And I, I may have written about it. I can't remember. But you could tell. You just could tell. And you know why? You know, you can sometimes kind of tell coaches' kids. You know, his dad's been a, a Division One college uh, position coach for, for quite a few years and, and played in the NFL. And, and sometimes those kids like that, they tend to have, like, a really high football IQ. And just got off of Zoom with the coordinators today, and Jim Bob Cooter was talking about the offensive coordinator. He was talking about how uh, how Josh Downs has this ability to – you know, on what they call option routes, which is kind of like you're playing off the defense. And it means if they do this, then I do this with the route. And so you and the quarterback have to be on the same page. And in those situations, you've got to make the right read and have a feel for the defense, particularly against zones where you kind of have to understand the spacing and know when to stop and, and make yourself open. You know, and he does a fantastic job of that. It's one thing to tell a guy, hey, go run this route, uh, eight yards, cut this way, and then catch the ball, right? I mean, that's pretty much just, you know, sort of Simon Says (laughs) to some degree. But, uh, you know, on these other types of routes, they do require, you know, sort of a more of a mastery or more of an understanding, I guess, of of defenses, of spacing, of just football IQ in general, and he, he that's what I think is helping him. And then the other attribute is his hands are just really reliable. I thought the catch he made on Sunday, by the way, that fantastic throw. I'm talking about the deep throw yes, from yeah. from Anthony Richardson. Beautiful. If, if people don't remember what I'm talking about. That was a that was an impressive throw, like fantastic throw. But the concentration to catch that between two defenders fearlessly and really not even be faced by it. Now, that kid has, he has it all and he can be as good as he wants to be. Steven, when you got up to get a drink of water and for the Colts, everyone held their collective breath <laughs> because Richardson got hurt. Um, does that just kind of spin off from the fact that you went to the University of Miami and they had a situation where all they had to do was take one drink of water and win the game and all hell in a handbasket was delivered to them? What the hell happened with your Hurricanes? Oh, my God. So I was out, you know, just uh, having a cigar the other night. You know, you and I talked about this. I do that sometimes. And um, Reggie Wayne likes to partake, likes to partake in, a, in an occasional cigar. So he happened to be at the same establishment and was watching the game. And I, we were talking. And so I go, you know, I leave him alone. And I go back to, you know, my friends. And then uh, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> so let's just say we had a follow-up conversation. I, I wasn't even watching at the time. For those but, unfamiliar, uh, I can't imagine there anybody is. But for those unfamiliar, <laughs> Miami is playing Georgia Tech. The game was in – it was at Georgia Tech, right? Uh, Miami. It was in Miami. Miami. Okay. So they're playing kind of lowly Georgia Tech. Miami's got the game in hand. 34 seconds left. Georgia Tech has no timeouts. So all they have to do is take the victory knee. They decide to run the football. They fumble it. Georgia Tech recovers the fumble. And then three plays later, 
scores a wide open touch, not a hail mary, <laughs> not a hail mary, a design pass play for a touchdown, wins the game. So they had an inexplicable decision, and then fumble, and then a coverage bust, all in the span of 34 seconds, which is just unbelievable. By the way, just for the record, I don't, I almost don't want to know this, but. But apparently, if you look at the uh, – there's lots of takes on this on Twitter today. Um, the running back's elbow is down, and he's got the ball in his hand. I did – I, I will tell you, I did see a replay, and I'm like, it looks like he's down. And they, re, they, they reviewed it. They reviewed it and still upheld the call. So Well, at that point, blows, there's no way that Miami is going to be it. stupid enough to, to blow it twice, right? I mean, the fumble's yeah, so, one thing, but then you're like, eh, okay, they're still going to win the game. <laughs> You know what, though? They deserve it. Well, Mario Cristobal deserves it, not the kids, but th- you deserve it. Like, And I, to his credit, he owned up, which is the only thing he could do, but he finally owned up to it. But, like, I guess Miami was 4-0 coming into that game, and they had not been a, in a victory formation all season, apparently. I didn't even catch this. But they had not been in a victory formation all season. So this is Mario Cristobal's thing, which is the stupidest thing to have a thing about. Practice your kneel downs, kids. Doesn't this feel like a Randy Edsel thing? Remember, like when he had the thing where he, uh, it was like somebody was taking a knee and he he sent his defensive lineman to like burst through, and he's like, it's still a football game. I, come on, yeah. Right? Oh, oh, I covered Greg Schiano and uh, Greg Schiano. That's who that. it was. It was Greg Schiano, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So our, the very first game we covered this guy, we're at the Meadowlands. I think it was the Meadowlands back then. Anyway, when we were at MetLife. And they're playing the Giants, and this is Eli Manning, so, you know, in the prime of his career. And they attack the kneel down, and the Giants were about to kill these guys. Like, what the hell are you doing? I mean, it started almost a brawl. And he he went in there in the postgame and defended it, and we were like, dude, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, you lost. Take the L. So anyway, yeah, it's it's kind of on that level, I thought. Just like, but, but, but different, at least with Shiano. It was tough guy stuff, and it was stupid. But at least you could say, all right, well, they're desperate, and they're trying something. In this case, it's just mindless. Uh, most importantly, what kind of cigar? I had uh, – what did I have? I can't remember. It might have been a, a Fuente, I think. Yeah, that's so. a good one. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. Hoyo de Monterey number 1 Excalibur is always good, natural wrapper. Uh, Punch mm-hmm. Rothschild is a safety for me, hard to, hard to argue with. And then uh, I hate to say that I still have a, a humidor right now, full of boulevards, and I love boulevards, nice. man. But I haven't I haven't hey, had one in three you don't years. Have to apologize. <laughs> I, I need I need to break back into it. Let's put it that way. But I had to give it a couple of years before I got back into the swing of things. Uh, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. Stephen, appreciate the time as always. Look forward to talking to you next week, and we will break down the Colts Jags game at that point. All right, guys. See you soon. All right, Stephen Holder joining us on the hotline whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Kaskali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you final hour of the program on a tuesday here on query and company awaiting a conversation with charles mcdonald of yahoo sports a little bit earlier conversation with Stephen Holder, the latest on Anthony Richardson. Of course, no updates to this point in time, but at least an in-depth look at those conversations that happened with media availability previously in the week with Shane Steichen. And then, of course, where things are from an outlook in the countdown 
to Sunday's pivotal matchup against the Jaguars. Steven mentioned one thing about the state of the South, Jake, which is something I didn't think I'd say at all this year. Now I've said it twice. There's an opportunity for first place in the South up for grabs on Sunday. Uh, yeah, and, and of course, the question becomes, and, and I hate to be Debbie Downer here, is it legitimately up for grabs or is it temporarily up temporarily. for grabs? Temporarily. I would say temporarily. Uh, you know, and I think that people kind of feel that way, right? As yeah. much as I hate to say that. Yes. Our next guest is with us, Charles McDonald, who covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at 4Verts. Charles, I'll bring you in on that. Would you agree with that sentiment in regards to this Sunday's matchup Colts-Jaguars that the idea of the AFC South being up for grabs for the Colts is just a temporary up for grabs versus a full stranglehold on it if they win? Um, Yeah, temporary. Uh, look, this team is is still in the rebuilding phase. Uh, you're still getting Jonathan Allen or Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Taylor, you know, up to speed as he comes back from, you know, a, a contract situation, injury situation, maybe a little bit of both matched together. Uh, and oh, it, it's a good spot to be in, I think. I, I think you should feel pretty good about Anthony Richardson as long as he's on the field for your team. Uh, but, you know, as far as winning the division and holding on to that, it might be a little tough. I will say, though, I mean, if you're looking at four and two coming up against games against the Browns, Saints, Panthers, Patriots, Bucks. I, it, it's not it's not impossible that they could kind of hold on to this and and, and potentially make the playoffs, which would I got to say, you know, sometimes one of the best parts about being a sports journalist, sports analyst, reporter, whatever you want to call it, you get to pat yourself on the back every once in a while and. Uh, I remember back this summer, I, I said, you know, what's a surprise? They asked me for a dark horse team that could potentially win their division and make the playoffs. So I said the Colts and was uh, promptly laughed off of uh, my own podcast. But that's fine. Look, we, I, you just need to get some things back in working order to start looking like a football team. I think they've done that. And uh, I, I think, you know, holding on to division lead will be tough, especially when you have – uh, Jacksonville in the quarterback play and Calvin Ridley, you know, finally showing up again this past week. But it, it's possible. I mean, you're going to a four, you're getting a four and two record uh, going into a week stretch. But you know, the other team, they're still healthier and they have a, a pretty damn good quarterback themselves. Charles, I've always, I always get a, a kick out of asking this question for for national people in this fashion, and that is, I'm always curious about the perception of the Colts outside of Indianapolis. You know, you ask people around here, obviously, everybody's like, oh, they're, are you kidding? They're going to, this is the year, Super Bowl, you know. But realistically, to, to put it in a language people here can grasp, tell me, let's say, I don't know, two teams. Give me two other teams in the NFL right now that if you were to be, if you were writing down like a power ranking, if you will, or just in totality, the competitive, competitiveness of a team, you see the Indianapolis Colts in the same category, the same level of strength of what two other teams right now? <sighs> That's a good one. Um, you know, I, honestly, I think I think the Rams are a good one. Um, where you're kind of in that feisty, we might be able to give a good team a tough game, but probably not getting across the finish line. Uh, and maybe like Tennessee – kind of in the same breath where, hey, we have some pieces. We have uh, guys that can really make life hell for you over the course of a game. 
I, but we're probably not going to win every game that we come across. And and look, I I think I think being like an average NFL team is it's a good step in the right direction from last year. Uh, but that's still where you are right now. I would say where you probably feel a little bit better uh, about those teams than than where they're at right now, uh, especially the Titans. Is hey, you got Anthony Richardson. As long as he's healthy in that development track and stay on 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 where it needs to go, he's going to end up being a huge force on offense. I mean, even in the games that we've seen, right, he can still be a little rough around the edges sometimes, but he's still absolutely uh, a positive contributor for that offense, and uh, I, I think he's just going to end up being one hell of a player down the road. Yeah, the Charles, Rams are probably, oh, go ahead, the I'm Rams sorry. Are probably okay. Uh, the Rams are probably okay because they won a Super Bowl to, you know, <laughs> to get to this point, but I think that that's where – where the Colts reside right now. Richardson, Charles, is intriguing to me because, to your point, I, you see the flashes, right? I mean, you can see it. And then at the same time, I have to remind myself that we saw that there there have been many quarterbacks that we've seen that got out like a house of fire, and then once defenses kind of figured them out, water finds its level, and suddenly they're Baker Mayfield or they're you know, Achilles Smith or Joey Harrington or whatever. Um, give me the evidence that you have that this is in fact definitive that yes, Anthony Richardson is going to be the guy and that we don't need to be outside of health standpoint cautious about him not working out. Oh, well, I, I just think he, he, it's two things, right? He gets, he just gets how to play quarterback to me. Um, like <laughs> so one of the, uh, the most interesting things was watching Anthony Richardson tape last year, at least at Florida, when I thought was in terms of like, pocket management, uh, reading out a play, finding the right guy to throw to. He's, I think he's really good at all of that stuff. But the accuracy is not always where it needs to be. But uh, one thing that he has in his corner that you know maybe some of the other guys don't have is it's the athleticism and the arm strength. I mean, the, the throw that I keep coming back to <laughs> – in, in that Rams game, like when they're trying to come back, and it's one that went viral, right, where guys are around his feet and he still has the strength to kind of stand in there and make that throw. And to me, it's it's when you have the playmaking that's absent of your teammates and you can make a play when your teammates aren't really in a picture helping you like that, that to me is what separates him from uh, the other guys. Because even, you know, when Baker Mayfield was at his peak, uh, with the Browns, it was never like, okay, well, I can go out here and carry this whole load and kind of be like Atlas, right, and carry the offense on my shoulders and move us down the field and punch us in the end zone. Even at his best, it still needed. we got to block it up right. we got to do a play fake to Nick Chubb, and then someone needs to get open down the field. Anthony is the generator of his own offense, and I think that that, to me, is what puts him in kind of his own space away from maybe other quarterbacks that had – a hot little moment in the league and then and then dissipated. He's he sees the game well. He's got the physical tools. Like if you can just get that down to down accuracy on point where, you know, it's not like I, it's not like I don't think any anyone's even asking to be like you know peak Aaron Rodgers or Mahomes or something like that. Just get it to a point where where you don't feel like you're going to miss some of these open throws that that you know maybe other quarterbacks are hitting. Charles McDonald is our guest, covers the NFL at large for Yahoo Sports. Charles, we're entering week six, so I know this is somewhat of a tough game to play, but we were talking about pretenders and contenders in terms of legitimate playoff teams or teams that could make some noise. I feel like, and Jake had mentioned this too, the Bengals might be a team that are pretending to be a bad team. If they get themselves figured out, they could very well still be a playoff team. Long-winded way of asking 
Colts are a playoff team if it ended today. They're three and two. Bengals aren't. They're two and three. Those wild card spots, what do you think we're looking at if we're simulating out the rest of the season for the cutoff line in terms of a win total? Uh, I mean, I guess it's probably around like eight or nine wins based on what we've seen over uh, what the, the two-year sample size we have of the 17-game uh, season plus the expanded playoffs. So I, I would say, you know, you gotta you got to hit nine at least. Uh, and if you're talking about from a Colts perspective, I think that's definitely doable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, the, one of the beauties of playing in the AFC South is your you, your schedule is not insurmountable uh, as things stand right now. And when you finish with what did they have? They had the fourth pick in the draft this past year. You're, you're working with a, somehow a third place schedule because the Texans finished with the second pick. But when you're talking about you know the AFC South plus a third place AFC schedule. You're you're not really going to be running through the cream of the crop. So I, I look. I think even if they win or if they lose this game, if you lose to Jacksonville on Sunday, your expectation as a Colts fan should still be maybe we can squeeze into the playoffs. Because what do you what are you losing games for anymore? You have your quarterback. You have some pieces on the team. Why not go out there and try to compete and win some games and, and get to the playoffs? Charles McDonald is our guest. You can read his work at Yahoo Sports covering the NFL. Charles. This is maybe a premature question, but coming off of the Jonathan Taylor situation, we kind of turned the page here and now focusing on the next free agent of importance for Anthony Richardson, and that would be Michael Pittman. It is my belief that Michael Pittman may have more market value to Indianapolis than he does on the open market because of their receiver situation, and I would think that his representation – would certainly make the Colts aware of that fact. In your mind, a player like Michael Pittman Jr. next year would be a fair estimate of what he would be looking for and what he might get as a receiver on the open market would be how many, how much per year? Wow, that's a good question. Um, because it's, it's, it's also about what, what, what do you value his skill set at? Um, I, I don't know if I would be in the market to pay him as much as a guy like, you know, what T. Higgins going to get because he can probably command something close to twenty million a year uh, based on some of the things that he's produced. And I know that look, the, the Bengals situation has helped him, but I do think he's he's a he's a really talented player. Um, but you know, when you look, at, I think when you look at Michael Pittman, he's gonna he's gonna be able to command a pretty pretty penny too. He's only twenty six years old. Uh, he's had a productive uh, career up to this point, and he's had a productive career in some uh, some pretty shaky quarterback situations. I mean, uh, I, I think you know he, one one thing that he really has going in his corner is he's been able to produce something no matter uh, who's throwing him the ball. So I, I think you know if you're looking at a contract where he's getting in like that fifteen to seventeen million dollar range, which I mean, it sounds like a lot, but honestly, it's just not that much when you're talking about uh, where the cap keeps going and how much some of these other guys are making. It's just kind of a different sport than what we used to know. You know, it's funny because I, I was talking to someone. You know, I remember when Cam Newton signed the first contract or his, his first second contract, and it was like five years, a hundred million dollars, and people were like, "Whoa, Cam Newton, twenty million dollars? Can you believe that?" And now, you know, we got defensive tackle making thirty million dollars a year. So the, the game has changed a bit, but I think if you can get Pittman on a deal, let's call it, you know, four years, uh, you know, anywhere from sixty to seventy million dollars. 
that's probably a deal that can get done for both sides because it's not he's not a guy that you you probably want to super break the bank for. But I will say, like letting him walk from this team is a blow that they don't really need to take on, right? Yeah, would you agree? He holds more value to the Colts than he does the open market, right? Uh, Agreed, agreed. Because you know, if if you let him go, you're you're you you're pretty far away from having like a a real competitive, complete wide receiver core. I know that you know I'm I'm pretty high on Josh Downs, but right now he's a complimentary guy to a team that has a Michael Pittman. And I think even if you can bring Michael Pittman back in the fold, you should still be trying to add another guy because you have the cap space to work with. You have a young quarterback. You don't have to pay for four more years. Like, this is the point where the Colts can really start to get aggressive. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. By the way, do you know who right now, Jimmy Cook or Charles, either one of you guys, do you know who is scheduled to be the highest paid Colt receiver next year? On the books, on the books, Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce, Ashton Doolin. Wow, wow. <laughs> so, like Charles, <laughs> like I said, Pittman holds more value to Indianapolis than he does elsewhere, <laughs> right? Yeah, that tells sure. you everything you need to know. Hey, who's the best team in the league? Oh, uh, San Francisco. Yeah, sure. I mean it's. I'll tell you what. I mean, obviously, being on the West Coast, you know, the NFL is the NFL. People see everybody week in and week out, but. Uh, you know, we talk so much about McCaffrey and, and the fact that they, you know, they continue to get good quarterback play. But man, that defense is—I mean, that defense is really good. I, if they stay healthy, I, I mean, you know, there's no reason to think. I, I don't know. I mean, they're going to win that division going away, right? Oh, easily, easily. I mean, the, the, they've had one quote-unquote close game this year against the Rams, but you got to remember. Sean McVay kicked a field goal as time expired to cut the lead to seven. Like that was just just petty stuff. So I I, I don't I don't really know how how anyone's going to stop this team because the way that I feel about that game on Sunday is I still feel pretty strongly that the Cowboys are a good football team and they got totally dismantled by by the Forty ers So if you look at the Forty ers scores this season, thirty to seven, thirty to twenty three, thirty to twelve, thirty five to sixteen, forty two to ten. <laughs> they do this to everybody, so I I don't know what's going on. We'll, we'll get a because usually you don't see a team blowing out other NFL teams like this, and uh, maybe they'll get a tough test from the Browns on Sunday. But you know now you're looking at their schedule. They got Browns coming up, who might not have Deshaun Watson. Vikings coming up, who definitely will not have Justin Jefferson. Bengals, who have been banged up. Jaguars. I mean, this team is going to absolutely mow through the rest of the season, and then. Uh, I, I just think it would be really funny if we end up with a world where Brock Purdy actually wins the MVP. You know, We're living in it now. Mr. Irrelevant and MVP in the same trophy case is pretty interesting, right? I, Charles, it seems to me like Dallas, we were just talking about this, and I want you to opine on it. Dallas feels like, to me, the NFC Buffalo Bills. And by that I mean, you know it's there. You know they have the potential to be really good. But man, occasionally they go out and just lay a flat one where you're like, what happened? And they have yet to... You never know when that flat one might kind of peer up. And as a result of that, it's hard to push all in on them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, was, uh, I was talking to some of my friends before the game on Sunday 
And we were just like, man, I really hope Dallas can give them a game because kind of if, if, if this Dallas team can't get 49ers a game, then, then no one can. But you also have to acknowledge with Dallas, they're, they're just due for some stinkers every once in a while. I, I don't know if the 49ers are, you know, five touchdowns better than the Cowboys, but they were on Sunday. And at any given point, it kind of feels like that can be the case with Dallas, where they just kind of get stuck in the mud and they don't have things going. And uh, you start to look at the pieces, right? You, I feel like they have a pretty good roster, just in terms of, of talent all the way through. But they just have these inexplicable moments where uh, it's not clicking, it's not being put together, and then you end up with these embarrassing moments on, on national TV because they play so many nationally televised games, which I think kind of alters the perception of what – uh, is actually true about this team. One thing that's true about this team, 49ers are a horrendous matchup for them, right? They've lost Sunday. They lost some divisional round this year. They lost some divisional round uh, the year before to the 49ers. They just kind of don't have the juice for this team. Uh, but that doesn't make them a terrible team on their own. And they just got to figure out a way to get over the hump and stop overachieving like that because they really do have the talent to be a lot better. Charles McDonald is our guest. You can read his work at Yahoo. Appreciate the time, Charles. Uh, wanted to ask you this as well. In terms of the injury to Anthony Richardson, grade three, you know, sprain, shoulder, et cetera. I mean, we've talked a lot about the injury here, but um, just in terms of precedent league-wide, guys that have gone through this, I, I think – Stafford might have had this earlier in his career. What typically is the window and, and the recovery process of what Anthony Richardson now faces? Oh, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm saying based on other players who've had that that same injury. That yeah, I, I didn't mean what is the exact uh, injury, but you know what I mean. Like that that level typically. What are we looking at? Probably three to five, four to six. Fair. Probably, you know, probably three to five, maybe two if you're lucky. Like, you know, Derek Carr, he had a similar injury. And he came back and he played that game against Tampa Bay. Not not this Sunday, but the the Sunday before that. Um, And he threw for like three yards in the tenth. Alvin Kamara, he had 13 catches for 33 yards, which is, you know, it's not really a a spot that you want to be in. Uh, And I I think it's, it's good that the Colts have put themselves in the position where you you have someone like Gardner Minshew just hold it down um, while Anthony Richardson recovers from this. But, you know, I think when you're looking at, you know, a shoulder injury like that, probably two weeks best-case scenario and, like, six weeks on the longer end. But I, I, don't, I don't really know how long that that's going to be a, a, a source of, you know, pain and, and conflict for him because the, the biggest thing with Anthony Richardson is – Obviously, the development and making sure he's going to be a part of this offense is very useful, but also just getting out of the year healthy because you have a lot going on, a lot more going on than than just this season for Indianapolis, and they need to take care of his health first and foremost. He's Charles McDonald, who covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. Charles, always good to catch up. Hope to talk to you again a little bit down the road in the NFL season, and uh, I hope your fantasy football team plays better defense. Yeah, I'm I'm getting the hell in the group chat, but it is what it is. Take it easy. Thanks, Charles.